This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to the Bottom Line, Casey Laura's programme for and about business. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. This is the first Bottom Line programme of 2021 and I hope you had a good Christmas and New Year despite the challenging circumstances for so many people. But before we get down to the nitty gritty of dealing with the opportunities and challenges of the year ahead, the disruption of Brexit, which has been ongoing since even before the bells peeled in the new year, and the prospects of a return to a new normal with the advent of a COVID vaccine, we thought it would be a good idea to look back in detail at 2020, a year unlike any we've ever seen before. So this programme is a compilation of extracts from some of the programmes we've broadcast over the last year. They tell the story of a year that started pretty much as normal, but as February passed and March and brighter evenings started to come round, the virus called COVID-19, which we'd first heard of at the end of 2019, start of 2020 in Wuhan, China, started to make its terrible presence felt. So, between now and 10 o'clock, you'll hear about how COVID hit, causing some to close, our tourism and hospitality sectors, for example, and how other businesses pivoted and transformed themselves. You'll hear how media changed, consumer attitudes changed also, and ultimately how business continued. But we started 2020 looking into a general election, and on the bottom line, we covered the election from the point of view of business. Just after the results of the election came in, I sat down with John Hurley, CEO of Kilkenny Chamber, and Brian Farrell, CEO of Carlow Chamber, and I asked them how they felt about the result. First, here's John Hurley. Yeah, it's been a big surprise, lots of surprises for everybody in the election results. Uh, And key now that the businesses want is to get on with forming a government. Um, We want whoever it is is going to run the country for us. We want them to get on with it, get into place as quickly as possible, put together uh, um, a programme for government and start rolling it out straight away. We've had and seen the negative effects of uh, uncertainty and procrastination and the never-ending story that was Brexit for the past couple of years and that really stalled businesses. Uh, Decisions weren't being made, investments weren't being made, it hurt the economy significantly. We can't afford to have similar or any other sort of delays now with forming a new government. We hear so much that all politics is local and let's really bring it local. Now, Brian O'Farrell from Carlow Chamber, what's the number one priority for business from any new administration really? Sum up briefly what what Carlow Business wants from a government. Well, uh, I suppose Carlow Businesses, they want the supports, um, they want the right supports to help them to move forward uh, locally and internationally, to be able to attract the right skills, um, to make sure our costs are in line, that we're not in a non-competitive environment. Um, and that is key to it because we want to you know, ensure that the local businesses can thrive because without those local businesses thriving, our communities will suffer. Uh, Fair share was a big rallying call in Carlo during the election campaign. Are you satisfied that uh, Carlo got a fair share in the election? Well, um, the electorate spoke. I know we did. We asked for fair share, and uh, when we're talking about fair share for Carlo, we were talking about representation. We were hoping for uh, two TDs from Carlo, but at the same time, you know, it's about having enough choice in the different parties that are there. John Hurley and Brian Farrell of Kilkenny and Carlow Chambers of Commerce respectively there telling us about their feelings after the election. Now, as it happened, a new government was not formed until June 26th, 2020, just over four months after the general election. Now, shortly after the election, COVID began its steady disruption of normal life and business was upended slowly at first. In mid-March, just before the first lockdown was announced, I spoke to Rachel Doyle, a Carlow woman who was one of Ireland's leading retail pioneers. We spoke about how the advent of COVID was testing even the most positive of people. Uh, absolutely, and uh, we, we are doing absolutely everything we can to uh, be compliant with everything the HSE has asked us to do. We have um, in, in, in the operation we have one person 
dedicated to the restaurant, one to the shop and one to uh, the outdoor area. And they're, all their job is over the whole course of the day is going around and disinfecting everything. Um, you know, if it's a trolley that somebody has brought back, it has to be cleaned down before it's put out for use again. So we're 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 complying with all of those things, but it's just, I suppose, uh, it's you know, it's 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 frightening to see the fall off in business, and um, we are looking at you know everything that we can do to, you know, we've, we've spaced out the tables in the restaurant and in the conservatory, all of those things we're complying with. But, you know, I suppose that the staff are fearful and it is, they're seeing, you know, that that, that we're down every day um, and I'm not sure what is the, the right line for government to take at this stage. It's, it's it's changing very quickly, isn't it? And it's happening at a tough time of the year because I know um, from talking to you over the years that pa- St. Patrick's Day is the traditional kickoff for your busy season. Absolutely. But equally with Absolutely. people spending more time at home, uh, mm. they'll never be banned from going into their gardens or looking after no. their window boxes and we should think of the positive aspects of oh, all oh, that sort uh, of stuff. Absolutely. And, and, and that is what, we're, what, we're, what we are doing because we, we believe, look, do you know what? I really believe that mentally, spiritually, physically, if you go out into your garden, you're in a great frame of mind. Shortly after Rachel and I spoke in March, the first lockdown was announced and we entered a new and alien territory when effectively retail activity, with the exception of essential services, came to a complete halt that lasted into June. Economist Jim Power was a regular contributor to the programme during the year and when we spoke in mid-April, the lockdown was at its height and the reality of the magnitude of the challenges facing the economy was beginning to dawn. We spoke about the totally changed landscape for retail and what needed to be done to get it back on its feet. Jim had just completed a review of the impact of the first wave of the pandemic on the retail sector. I mean, Retail Excellence Ireland launched a uh, sort of a plan for the recovery in the retail sector and I helped with the economic input to that. Um, I worked with Fergal Doyle there in the Arboretum in Carlow. So... um, you know, obviously, if you look at the devastation that has been imposed on the economy over the last month, uh, you know, the hospitality sector has been absolutely destroyed. You know, restaurants, hotels, pubs, um, serious problems, and the non-grocery retail sector also. Uh, construction has obviously been shut down, but at least for the construction sector, you know, once the restrictions are lifted, construction activity will recommence very, very quickly. So um, the retail sector very definitely has been at the cutting edge of this. And the problem, of course, uh, as you well know, uh, towns and cities around the country, the high streets have been under a lot of pressure in recent years from out-of-town developments, from online shopping. Um, So it was always a struggle for many retailers. And of course, then when you're hit with this sort of shock, um, it's pretty calamitous stuff. Um, And I suppose my perspective would be in relation to all of these businesses in retail in the hospitality sector tourism etc that we need to try and ensure insofar as is possible once the shutdown starts to end that as many of those businesses who were around in february are around when we reopen because we need those businesses to rebuild the economy and that's why i think the focus has got to be on making sure that as many businesses as possible survive and of course in the retail sector you know the challenge would be that you're going to see a lot more boarded up premises on our high streets in the towns and cities around the country um, and from a social perspective and an economic perspective that is certainly something that um, I think we need to take pretty dramatic action to try and sort out. And to give the Irish government its due it moved quickly to bring in a range of measures to stop thousands of businesses going to the wall at that stage of the pandemic. Here, Alan Seary from O'Neill Foley Accountants, who joined us regularly to guide us through the complexities of the various schemes and initiatives introduced by the government, explained some of the provisions of the first wave support schemes introduced for business. What Revenue have said is that uh, you can make a reasonable case to show that your turnover has uh, dropped by 25%. 
So for some businesses, that drop might be a comparison between, say, quarter one, 2020, and quarter two, 2020, or it might be a comparison between trading performance in uh, April and May this year with April and May last year, or March and April this year with March and April last year. So there's no one set rule for this. It's, it's really what, what will be the best way to compare from a business perspective uh, you know that a, a drop in turnover, twenty five percent, has been um, has has occurred. And when is it likely that that case is made? Is that made when um, people apply for it, or is it in the case when revenue comes to do the look back um, at the end of the scheme? Yeah. So um, when people apply for the wage subsidy, they do that at, the, at each payroll run that they put through revenue's website. So at, at, at that juncture, they have to have a belief that the, their turnover will be reduced by 25%. Now, after the event, hopefully at the end of June, we'll know factually then whether that has happened or not. Even if it hasn't happened, so say for, a bit, say for example, a business has only declined by 20% in turnover, revenue have said that if for some reason the decline in turnover was less than 25%, the business should retain documentation supporting its rationale for believing at the time it made the application that it would suffer such a decline. Um, so we, we may find that some businesses haven't dropped as much as 25%, but have, have experienced still a significant drop. Um, and in those cases, the, the door still seems to be open that you could still, still be entitled to claim and retain the benefit of the wage subsidy scheme. Now, in that interview between Alan Siri and I, you will have noticed that I too was speaking on a phone, a mobile phone. That was due to the fact that for a number of weeks at the beginning of the pandemic, I broadcast the business programme from the front room of my house. And on that occasion, I was linked to the studio by a mobile phone. Now, remote broadcasting has its challenges, and at the height of the pandemic, I had a few memorable, or rather forgettable, interviews for all the wrong reasons. Here's one that still gives me nightmares. Um, here in Ireland, and um, we, we developed Red Sky Ireland out of Red to uh, work with Irish companies to uh, throw on the online um, um, market here in Ireland. Hello, Ken. Hello, John. Can you hear me there? Oh, oh sorry. We're, we're, we're labouring under very difficult uh, um, audio circumstances at the moment. Sorry, Ken. Go ahead. But despite glitches, we somehow kept the show on the road. Business continued and companies adapted. They sought new opportunities and pivoted. They changed business models and many began operating online. Here's Ken Byrne of Red Sky again, this time on a better phone line. And following that, we'll hear from some other businesses where necessity became the mother of invention. Um, I'm joined also on the line by Ken Byrne of Red Sky Europe. Good morning, Ken. We were having a bit of... I remember you saying last week... Um, so apologies uh, for that. But uh, your company barely set up uh, two years. You've been quite busy, and I suppose to use a common term at the moment, you've pivoted a bit, and you're uh, continuing to fulfil your normal uh, work providing services to internet-based companies, but you're you're setting up new stuff with local companies and companies further afield who are turning to the internet. Tell us about that. Good morning, John. How are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, so um, so we, we provide e-commerce fulfillment to online retailers. So um, uh, typically our clients would send us in their stock. We can link in with their their website platforms and take their online orders, uh, process them and deliver them out to customers. So as you said, um, predominantly our, our target market would have been North America. But with what's happening here, we have an increasing number of Irish companies who are turning to online, coming to us, looking for um, uh, help and assistance with the management of orders that they're receiving online. Okay, and tell us about Foggers and their part in maybe a turn in a more positive corner in the face of the coronavirus. Yeah, I suppose about two weeks before um, the massive decline for us, we had been looking at certain Foggers because we had already been doing disinfecting ductwork um, for like of hospitals, nursing homes, offices. Um, it wasn't a massive part of our business, but what we would do is we'd clean out the ductwork initially and then we would sanitize it using the um, foggers. So we always had foggers with us and we always had our staff um, specifically trained up for the use of the foggers. But we said to ourselves, there could potentially be a market here for um, disinfecting work areas, general work areas, not just above the ceiling, but 
um, you know, direct touch points, um, computer desks, laptop, you know, anything there that's in your kind of office and workspaces. And what does it actually uh, then, Joe? Does it just come in and create a fog of disinfectant? Um, pretty much, yeah. That was Joe Curran of Carlo Company VSS and before that Ken Byrne of Red Sky telling us about how their businesses responded to the challenges of the first wave of COVID. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. And this morning we're looking back at 2020 and how it unfolded in business across Carlo, Kilkenny and indeed across the wider world. After the break we'll hear from more businesses who've pivoted and we'll talk about the infodemic that on unfortunately, has become part of the pandemic. Don't go away. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. This week, the first programme of 2021, we're looking back at the year 2020 and what a year it was. Before the break, we were talking about businesses who had successfully pivoted to meet the needs of business in the new and unfamiliar COVID landscape. Here's another local business we talked to back at the beginning of May last year about how they'd adapted and changed their business. Joe Sheridan from Kells in County Kilkenny. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, John, and to all your listeners. Yeah, how are things? You were a man into stained glass in churches, pubs, hotels and restaurants, etc. Tell us how you transitioned. Yeah, well, sure, look, we, we've stained glass business uh, operating there for over 35 years and, um, you know, employing five people and two part-time workers, designing and fitting stained glass windows in churches and houses and that over, over that period of time. And I suppose um, with the current uh, COVID-19, all of that stopped. Um, so I suppose you had to kind of think fast and see what kind of a market was out there. And, uh, and basically, that's what i done, you know. Yeah, and um, so more or less, uh, times are tough anyway, we have to remember before uh, all this started to happen, but churches and hotels and pubs and restaurants all closed. Um, But there are some businesses that that are staying open and they have to put very serious protective measures in place. You saw a, a niche in the market there. I did, yes. Look, I, uh, first of all, I was contacted by uh, a friend of mine, uh, Rory Moore, and he looked for a protective screen in his pharmacy. And uh, we we installed that one. And, uh, you know, from there on, I just thought, look, there there's a, this is an opening here and a need for them uh, to protect, you know, the, both the shopkeeper and the, and, and the customer, you know. That was Joe Sheridan there from Joe Sheridan Glass of Kells County Kilkenny. Now, one of the most imaginative business adaptations that we covered on the programme concerned Belle Femme Lingerie, who, prevented from doing in-person bra fitting because of COVID restrictions, adapted the service online. Here's Bridget Kearney of Belle Femme. It's a very personal thing and it, it, it was so important to me to be able to offer that, um, that to say that it's nice and comfortable that you come in and that you are relaxed and you know that you are enjoying the experience of getting fitted for that proper fitted bra because a lot of people don't um, and that is where the the facility of that virtual fitting that we have been doing for the last 10 years has come about because a lot of people you know might not be able to get to my shop or they just didn't want to come in and get that fit, that fitting um, and so we had um, offered that virtual fitting and, and a lot of people had taken up on it. Yeah um, but tell us how what what happened then when Leo announced that the country's closing down and you're going to have to shut your doors. Yeah, so we closed our doors, John, um, early March and um, I suppose kind of as the weeks went on we had been kind of inundated, you know, the women of Ireland still need um, um, their lingerie and we had been asked over and over, you know, Bridget, what can you do for us? You know, how can you fit us? And so I decided to relaunch um, something that we've always done anyway, um, and that was offering the, the fishing service virtually. And so you can do that now by sending me pictures of yourself in a bra, back, front and side, sending it to our secure email address. Now we're talking about innovation and we have a man on the line who's renowned for his innovation. Uh, very familiar voice to all listeners of KCLR, Sean Swan. How are you this morning? 
Uh, morning, John. Uh, hello to everybody out there. Uh, nice morning. Absolutely, nice yeah. Yep. Now, you kept the show on the road, uh, so to speak, during the lockdown. Tell us about how Swan Electrical kept going uh, during these unprecedented times. You're, you're in business a long time, but you never saw anything like this. No, surely this is a whole new learning curve for everybody. Um, we were lucky insofar as we were de- deemed as a part of an essential service and were allowed to stay open behind closed doors and to service people for their... Uh, somebody's washing machine breaks down, it's not a luxury, they need it, right? You know, somebody needs... Nobody can survive without a refrigerator or a freezer. So we were lucky that we were able to uh, provide a service uh, by telephone and we did same day delivery or next day delivery at the worst and we were able to maintain a fair amount of our turnover uh, and maintain full staff levels we didn't have any redundancies or we let anybody off we were able to keep everybody employed The inimitable Sean Swan there whose voice remained a reassuring presence on KCLR throughout the year through his uniquely memorable radio commercials which we're delighted to have each week and which have turned Sean into a bit of a celebrity there he was, talking about how he was able to keep his business going during the initial stages of the pandemic. For other sectors, however, they were unable to operate online. Tourism and hospitality, transport and logistics are both hugely important sectors to Carlo and Kilkenny's economy and were essentially closed and therefore faced massive challenges at the outset of the pandemic. In April and May, I spoke with Paul Keeley of Falja Ireland and Colin Ahern, Chair of Kilkenny Tourism, about the challenges facing tourism. But first, a look back on the hard-hit tourism sector. JJ Kavna of Erlingford is a huge and nationally and indeed internationally renowned coach operating business. They were hit hard by COVID. In March... I spoke to JJ Kavna. I put it to him that COVID was like something designed to wipe out bus operators. Well, it's really flattened us, John. It's really flattened us. We, we, we have a staff of approximately in the UK of 250 people. At the moment, we have about 20 people currently working on a, on a daily basis. And unfortunately, there isn't any work for the rest of them. Now, we all, our fleet is... Uh, out of our fleet of 130 vehicles, there's five, there are five of them operating, or six of them operating every day, and they're operating on government contracts in Rural Link and uh, public service uh, obligation routes on behalf of the government. So, other than that, all our other vehicles are parked up. So, there are no tourists this year, there are no uh, trips, no matches this year, there are no concerts, events, or of any description. So, uh, our fleet and our drivers and our, all our other staff are unfortunately without uh, employment at all. So uh, a typical bus, I don't know what the what the typical capacity of a bus would be, but what would be the capacity post, post-Covid and social distancing? How well, many can you fit in a bus? The, 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 the capacity, the, the average vehicle, the large, size, large coach you see on the roads every day, uh, the, the capacity of those is approximately 50 to 53 people. Uh, at the moment, if we were to go back into service, we would be maxed at 12 people per, per vehicle. 12. So which makes it, yes. Like we've built, our business model is based on carrying, uh, operating frequent service and carrying as many people as possible in a safe and comfortable manner. So you have and to basically operate four buses to equal previously one Correct. bus. A sector that has seen its entire world turned upside down in the last couple of weeks is the tourism and hospitality sector. Uh, I'm joined on the line by Paul Keeley, who's the Regional Development Director for Falja Ireland, uh, covers Kilkenny, Carlow and and much of this side of the country. Paul, um, it's been an absolutely unbelievable uh, number of weeks. Nothing could have prepared the tourism sector for this. Uh, good morning, John. Um, no, I mean, look, um, you just couldn't overstate the extent of the crisis. I mean, I've been chatting to people who have been around the industry a long time, and I don't think anybody has seen a, a crisis like this. Uh, and I and I think it's the speed with which it came upon everybody uh, you know, has had a, a, a brutality about it, almost in terms of uh, businesses not having an opportunity to, to gear up for it. Uh, so, certainly from our perspective, uh, you know, massive catastrophic impact uh, uh, on the sector um, 
you know, at this stage, uh, you know, tourism is essentially shut down. Um, you know, all attractions, all activity providers, pubs, restaurants, hotels, uh, by and large, closed unless they're providing um, support to the health service, etc. Um, so effectively, uh, you know, it's 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 a massive uh, sector from from an economic perspective. It's 7.5 billion in revenues, and of that, about 23 cents in every euro spent goes to the exchequer. So it's about mm. 1.7 exposed to the exchequer. So a massive, massive challenge in terms of both economic impact and at a human level. Uh, we reckon probably this stage has probably impacted over 200,000 staff in the sector. With me on the line is the chairman of Kilkenny Tourism and indeed the vice president of Kilkenny Chamber, Colin Ahern. Good morning, Colin. Put the importance of the hospitality sector in Kilkenny in context for us. Good morning, John. Thank you. Um, yeah, look, it, it, it's vitally important. Nationally, um, I mean, nationally, it supported, well, up until March, it supported um, 260,000 jobs and, 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 and one in every 10 job in Ireland. And in Kilkenny, it, it's absolutely no different. Uh, no, no, no different. Um, you know, uh, up until March, it supported over 6,000 jobs in Kilkenny um, and um, it generated over 160 million to the local economy. So, um, it's by no means a small industry, um, and probably um, as as with a lot of emergencies, as with most emergencies that we've seen over the last uh, or the last two or three decades, it's generally one of the first industries to be hit, um, and um, but also uh, thankfully one of the first industries to come out of it. I don't think that's going to be the case this time, though. Yeah, it's unprecedented because all of the necessary social distancing and so on is nearly uh, incompatible with uh, hospitality industry as we know it. And it's hugely important in Kilkenny and Carlow and all over the sunny southeast, dare I say. And we've had loads of sun, but we've no tourists. Um, how are you going to bounce back from this? Or can you bounce back from this? We certainly can bounce back from it, but it's going to be really, really challenging. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on Casey Lauren. This morning, in a special programme, we're looking back at the year just past 2020 and we're playing some of the interviews we brought to you during the year. That was Colin Hearn, now President of Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce and at the time, back in May, the Chairman of Kilkenny Tourism, sounding a note of resolute determination that tourism will bounce back eventually. Before that, you heard Paul Keeley of Falter Ireland and in the first part of that segment, you heard JJ Kavna talking about the impact of COVID on the transport sector. Now, with briefings every evening coming from Neffet and the Department of Health, we were all consumed with obtaining information on COVID-19. Never was it so important to have accurate information but not all information out there about COVID was accurate. The Director General of the World Health Organisation said not only were we fighting a pandemic but we were also fighting an infodemic, a situation where the role of the media is of crucial importance. Well, the Reuters news report was carried out across 40 countries and provided a fascinating insight into the media habits and perceptions of people and about the information they use in their daily lives. The Irish edition is funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland and I was joined on the programme to discuss the report by Michael O'Keefe, Chief Executive of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. First, I asked him to outline the work of the BAI and their work in the wider media ecosystem. Okay, the, the BAI, the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland, the BAI, as we're probably known, known uh, for short, is uh, the regulator of uh, all radio and television in Ireland now. So we have a number of different functions. I mean, obviously, the one that's most important to you is licensing, so that we, we the license that the uh, KCNR would have would come from ourselves and any of the other commercial or community uh, stations around the country, they'd all have licenses and contracts with, with us. We then have a compliance function which is, looks at just how, how the people comply with the terms of, of their contracts so that they that if, if KCLR is saying that it's, it's going to be doing a certain type of programming, uh, the compliance function ensures that it does that. And then I suppose we have a number of other, we have a research element and that's where, if you like, the Reuters report that you've mentioned, that, that, that comes into play there. And I suppose another one that's very uh, probably dear to your heart and indeed to others is that we have a, we have a funding uh, uh, grant system which we, we provide funds for making programs and uh, as you know, uh, 
uh, the local, the commercial radio st- sector would have would have received funding from us for the uh, coverage of their COVID nineteen uh, over the, the the course of the last couple of months and indeed the next couple of months, and we would have allocated funding on that in, in the most recent past. So they're the kind of the they're the main main functions that we have. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's, a, it's always a interesting and uh, a varied. Uh, and the whole landscape, Michael, has changed enormously. Uh, you know, since independent stations such as KCLR uh, and WLR and others first came along uh, towards the late eighties, the regulation uh, framework has changed and developed. It was originally the Independent Radio and Television Commission. It's now broadening out. Broadcasting has changed enormously. Yes, and and I suppose the first the, one of the big changes was when the BAI itself was established, which was in two thousand and nine, because that was the first time that the the public broadcasters RTE as, 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 and TGKR indeed they came under regulation for the first time, and we have a, a, a regulatory review function with both of those services, and that 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 was new. But I suppose the big change, John, that's that coming down the tracks. Um, which hasn't happened yet, but but there the, is in the program for government, and indeed was was uh, heads of bill launched by the minister before the election in January. Uh, is the establishment of a media and online safety commission, and that's going to uh, as well do two things. One is online safety, which is is, is a topic that is, is very much at the centre of of, of of many political and other discussions. But the other is that the we will we will for the first time have regulation of the I suppose they've known, been known as the digital media giants, the likes of Facebook, the likes of Google, Twitter. All of those will come in, uh, under some form of regulation under this new regime. So it's one of the tasks that the new government, when, it, when it's established, will will have to put in place as a priority because there's a European uh, there's a requirement at a European level that these these companies will now be regulated. The bottom line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie On the theme of the issues caused by online operators and the likelihood of regulation for them coming down the track, I spoke with Laura Slattery, media correspondent with the Irish Times. We discussed how a moment of truth was on the way concerning how media that is trusted is funded and how online and social media operates and is regulated in society. Yeah, and a bit of a moment of truth looming would imagine for how society relates to its media because surveys showing that trust in, I suppose, mainstream media, TV, radio, newspapers very high, um, trust in online very low, and the demand for trustworthy information huge, but the business model's just not supporting it. Yeah, I mean, that's the great irony, really. I mean, we have what, what I think some people are calling it the infodemic, where there's just so so much information out there, and, and unfortunately a great swathe of it is misinformation. And the platforms, um, the tech platforms haven't, uh, maybe, it, let's say they haven't done a consistent job uh, uh, trying to tackle that. And in, and in some cases, I think they, they deserve um, criticism for, for not uh, trying to control it at all. I mean, it's, it, 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 you know, one level it is difficult as well when you have um, the president of the U.S. Um, actively saying, you know, uh, dangerous things in terms of, of what people should use to treat, um, to treat coronavirus. Uh, so it's it's diff- you know it's a reflection I suppose of, of some of the things that uh, public leaders are saying that there is so much misinformation out there. But that that does, as you say, it points more than ever to a need for um, trustworthy uh, information from reliable sources. Laura Slattery, media correspondent of the Irish Times, there talking to me about misinformation on social media and what needs to be done to ensure trustworthy information in the midst of the pandemic and beyond. Well, in the light of the important role of Facebook, we thought it would be a good idea to get someone from the social media giant on the programme. So, at the start of the summer, we spoke with Garrett Lamb, who is head of Facebook, WhatsApp and Instagram in Ireland, and is Facebook's Vice President for International Planning and Operations, basically everywhere outside the United States. We challenge Gareth about why Facebook allows some of the weird and frankly dangerous material that appears on the platform to stay there when it is so dangerous, particularly during a pandemic. Yeah, well, first of all, I agree. There is a lot of silly and crazy stuff that people uh, share. You know, we're a platform, not a publisher. So, you know, we don't sort of edit everything that goes up to start with. 
But we do, of course, have a responsibility and an accountability to reduce or eliminate false news, especially where it can be dangerous or encourage, you know, incitement to, to, to crime. But why don't you just take it down, Gareth? Sorry? Why don't you just take it down? Well, there is a, a fine line here between freedom of expression and, you know, hate speech or, you know, incitement to crime. We do, of course, take huge measures. And I must say, we're in a very different place to where we were in 2016. Like, we, we basically either remove stuff that breaks the rules, reduce it in terms of its distribution. And a large part of what we do is also informing people about stuff they've seen, about whether it's been deemed um, to be false or not. I'll give you an example specific to the COVID-19. In, during the month of March, we displayed information warnings on approximately 40 million posts on Facebook which were fact-checked by independent fact-checking, fact-checking partners. And when people saw these warning labels, about 95% of the time, they don't go on to view the original content. Sounds like a publisher to me, though. You, you said earlier you're not a publisher, but you are editing content in that way. We take down when it violates our published content policies, which is around things like I mentioned, like... Mm. like um, uh, hate speech, etc. We don't want false news to go, to go viral on Facebook. But we don't want to be a censor either. And we think reducing the spread of fake news and sharing ratings from fact-checkers strikes that right balance. And, and uh, you, you flag, I think, up to 95% of, of stuff, or, or sorry, the evidence shows that if, if you flag stuff as not been trusted information, about 95% of people don't click on it. Correct. Yeah, but that still leaves about 5%, and in Ireland that's about 120,000 people, you know, so can you understand yeah. criticisms that you're, you're facilitating almost the spread of kind of incredible conspiracy theories such as coronavirus is a hoax? Yeah, look, we need to strike the right balance between allowing people to share stuff which is silly or stupid and they have silly ideas versus being a censor of it. As I said earlier, when it affects people's safety or health or encourages to do things which affect which, which affect their health or crime issues we take it down but there is a fine line between for example uh, freedom of expression and hate speech we are take we, we're in such a different place to where we were in 2016 on this but there will always be some content that comes up that we don't want to see we may even even find offensive and we take the action as appropriate, but it's an important balance to strike, John. That was Gareth Lamb, head of Facebook Ireland and vice president for international planning and operations for Facebook outside the United States, talking to us about misinformation on the media giant in the context of the COVID infodemic. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on Casey Law. This is a special programme where we're looking back at some of the stories we covered and the people we spoke to during 2020. One of the big trends during the year was a huge increase in appreciation for local business. There was some really interesting research as society continued to adjust to the new norm and communities throughout Carlow and Kilkenny realised the importance of supporting local business. Here's Gerard O'Neill, chairman of research company Amorok, talking about how some really interesting research that his company did into how people regarded the whole issue of local. People want the... Uh, local businesses. They, well, first of all, they want to support local businesses. The shop local thing, it's not just a cliche or a platitude. It's very real. We see it in multiple studies that we're doing, not just in this study for IRS, which is that people do genuinely want to support local. They want to support local retailers that are open at the moment. They want to support local service providers, hospitality, um, cafes, takeaway, all of that. And I think that that kind of tells us that people want local businesses to tell them about what's on offer, to tell them about what's open, what they're doing, their new initiatives, so that they can support local. So it's a a win-win scenario whereby uh, people are consumers and the general public want to shop local. And if they can be told about local opportunities to shop local through the local media, then they will spend their money accordingly. And we're talking very, very large sums of money that people are really interested and enthusiastic about spending in their local communities. Yeah, it's interesting. For many years, we were just hearing about globalisation and... um you know, how we're in such a globalised world. I think we're entering into a kind of an era of localisation in many ways. 
Now, one of the most fun things we did during the year was to travel Carlow and Kilkenny to meet local food producers. It was all part of the Taste Local campaign. The county councils in Kilkenny and Carlow, through their local enterprise offices, have come together for a Taste Local campaign with KCLR. Over the next few weeks, across KCLR, we'll be meeting with all sorts of local food producers and people involved in all parts of the food industry, which literally contributes hundreds of millions of euros to the local Local economy and supports thousands of jobs. Last week, on an absolutely gloriously sunny morning, I travelled to the foot of Mount Leinster where I met with Eva Milka to find out more about her business, Gaelic Escargo. Uh, hi everyone, my name is Eva from Gaelic Escargo. Uh, we specialise in uh, farming and distributing free range Irish snails. And we are based in a beautiful village of Garrahill in County Carlow. And how did you come to set up a business farming snails in County Carlow? Something tells me that's not a Carlow accent. No, I'm pure Polish girl, even though it's not true, John, but uh, I, I love calling myself a pure Polish girl. Um, we started farming snails back in 2011-2012 in our apartment in Kilkenny. Uh, and I remember at the time people laughed at us. Uh, people still laugh at us, but uh, but uh, we discovered a massive opportunity uh, to farm snails in Ireland. And we said to ourselves, why don't we try? So we did. John, we have everything we need to farm snails in Ireland. Uh, we have ideal climate. Uh, we have access to land. We have a good soil. Uh, we have a clean water. And we are farming country with an, an excellent reputation for food. So if uh, anybody else can do it, we can do it as well. Eva Milka there from Gaelic Escargo telling us about her fast-growing, boom-boom, snail business. Next up, here's me talking to Julie Calderpotts of High Bank Orchard in Kilkenny. 2020 has been a challenging year. We've had COVID, we've had difficult weather, but there's lots to be positive about. And, and you have a lot of exciting projects in the pipeline and coming to fruition. Your uh, apple wine, for example, will shortly be uh, available. Oh, yeah. I say 2020 is peaks and uh, mountaintops and troughs. And we're all like that, aren't we? Going up and down. Uh, apple wine. We have a gorgeous cask apple wine, uh, which we've been waiting to bottle. And we're bottling it in October, uh, launching it, hopefully in Kilkenny, local, uh, for Christmas market. And it's delicious. Mm. And it's in a, there's a limited amount of it, obviously, but it's something new for us here, which should be nice. One ingredient, of course. Apples. Yeah, apples are at the, at the core of all your business here. Just give us a range of the type of uh, products that you get out of the humble apple. The humble apple, isn't it wonderful? You know, I, I mean, the best way of taking apples is to eat a gorgeous apple. I mean, it's lovely. Uh, but, I mean, what uh, we've got a lovely syrup, which is uh, multi-award winning. We do treacle treacle bread uh, a lot of people have gone back to bakering John which is great you know and they're using the treacle and treacle bread you might know you do know I'm sure Ryland House they do a gorgeous treacle bread with nuts and apricots and things like that um, and uh, we do cider vinegars which is a very very much well-being and our balsamic vinegars um, and then in our drink section we have a driver cider non-alcoholic which you're drinking I'm glad to say now in the middle of the day in the middle of the day and uh, your uh, and apple juice obviously what's interesting about our apple juice our uh, part of our orchards were adopted by a Shumai Buddhist group there uh, a few years ago and part of our apple juice gets exported to the temples of Japan but an interesting one is that that apple juice uh, they don't allow ascorbic acid even into the process and we put ascorbic acid into apple juice most apple juice would have that uh, for uh, colour to hold the colour because it fades through time uh, but theirs doesn't and you'll see it on the shelf behind me here uh, it's still red and it's still perfect so why? I don't know <laughs> It's a mystery It's a mystery <laughs> Now the next stop on our Taste Local Tour sees me standing in a potato field in South Kilkenny on a glorious September day as potatoes were harvested on O'Shea's farm for Iverk produce. 
I was speaking to agronomist Tom Murray. Today we're harvesting our rooster crop here. Um, so we started our own harvest a week ago. Um, and yeah, it's going really well. I mean, we couldn't ask for any better weather down here at the moment. Um, so no, really delighted, happy with the quality of the potatoes and certainly hopefully this weather keeps up. Yeah, and so there are two um, very large tractors. Uh, just describe the machinery that we actually see here behind yeah, us. Yeah, so we have um, Murphy's at Port Law is the contractor that's, that's pulling our um, potato harvester. So they're another local uh, business. Then we have uh, our Grimmy Potato Harvester, which separates any of the stalks that you can see and the clay from the potatoes. And that then goes up into uh, our potato trailers, which are then transported back to the farmyard. And for people who are listening on the radio, describe the potato harvester machine. It's about 30 or 40 feet long. Yeah. So initially the potatoes go, um, they get lifted from the ground. They get lifted nice and gently. They travel up a couple of um, webs, which loosens the clay and loosens and takes any of the, the certainly finer clay out from um, from around the potatoes. They then go into a cleaning unit, which then um, knocks any of the heavier clay off, and then they're gently put up into the trailer. So I think in that sentence I probably mentioned gentle three or four times. So certainly gentle and, and, and definitely um, care for our produce is certainly a very high priority here. And two gentlemen at the back of that machine in a kind of a, a little, um, uh, I don't yeah. know how you'd describe it, a, a mobile sorting hub. Yeah, yeah. I presume they probably would rather have been in a tent and electric picnic, but... <laughs> <laughs> there would be at this time of the year, all right. They're in the back of the harvester anyway, but... Yeah, um, yeah so they're just saying anything that the harvester misses, then they're just ensuring that yeah, the potatoes are the, full of money debris. Those large trailers then did presumably contain tons of potatoes. Yeah, so each one of them trailers um, holds just over 8 tonne of potatoes, and they're specially designed trailers to ensure, again, minimising damage and minimising risk of damage. Gentle trailers. Gentle trailers, exactly. Gentle and is tell the keyword. When, when you drive gently uh, and carefully... Out of this huge field where do the potatoes go then and what's the route to market? Yeah so these potatoes then will travel back to the farmyard where they'll be um, quality checked um, and fully they're fully traceability traceable from um, planting all the way up to, to packing anyway but the, the quality control is definitely a huge aspect to it. Um, from that then they will be put away into storage which the, these potatoes could potentially be still in storage next August. That was Tom Murray from Iverk talking to me from the middle of a massive field in South Kilkenny with a potato harvest in full swing. A gentleman who is an expert in the gentle art of potato harvesting. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. You're very welcome back. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell and this week we're doing a special programme looking back at 2020. Now we really met some very interesting people over the last 12 months. Kitty Donoghue is a woman who with her husband Ned started a horse sales business in the 1960s in Goresbridge in County Kilkenny. In the late 1970s with nine children and a month away from giving birth to her 10th child Ned Donoghue, her husband died suddenly. Widowed and about to give birth to her 10th child in what was very much a man's world in the 1970s and with unbelievable challenges ahead and more tragedy to come when one of her sons died aged 10 somehow Kitty guided her family and their business forward. She was awarded during the week with the Lifetime Achievements Award by Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce. When we spoke I asked Kitty what advice she'd give to people facing difficulty. One thing is you have to try like I mean Ned could have given up when he was getting all this um, talk well you, you, there's no way you can do it and I even remember saying to Uncle Jack well look I said I'm not going to stop Ned or advise him and I said sure he can try anyway all he can do is fail but you could have given up yourself yeah but as I say I didn't have an option I felt that I didn't have an option but now we'll have to, you'd have to remember that the horses are nothing like they are today. I mean, sure, like we maybe we'd have thirty horses, maybe forty horses. You know, now we could have like we, our September sales. We used to have over a thousand horses six days. 
Now, Ned had started his ash before he died, you know, and we have what we had then special sales. And would you believe it? The first one we had, Ned was dead. It was when I was having Jim in, in Kilkenny. And I remember Martin and one of the lads that was working here came in with me. And and I said, how was the sale? And they said, oh, it was marvellous. But it wasn't because people didn't know what was going, you know, whether it was on or This not. was after the death of Ned. Yeah. When you, you were expecting uh, uh, when, when he died. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that must have been. Born a month after. Mm. Well. We're in the COVID times at the moment. And obviously... Uh, you're no horse sales sales, but you've done a bit online are you confident about the future well I am because all of my children they're all thank god they all are okay they're all okay every one of them you know and I'm sure their children will be okay as well and I mean it's not a bother on me I'm sitting here Kitty Donoghue, a really inspiring woman who brings to mind the wise words of Winston Churchill who said, if you're going through hell, keep going. Also recognised during the year for his role as an ambassador for Kilkenny was Kilkenny-born entrepreneur Bobby Kerr. In accepting the award, Bobby spoke about how although times were tough and the year 2020 would see business casualties, overall business would keep going. You know, businesses find a way, there's a resilience within, particularly Irish business, to find different, and if you look at things like, you know, restaurants that have reinvented themselves in the last couple of months, you know, and got into takeout and, you know, boxes delivered, just to keep the lights on, just to stay, just to survive, and that's what really, if they can do that, and until we get to the other side, which I think is only months away. You know, business will survive, but there's also going to be opportunity that comes out of the chaos that we have now. And you're already already starting to see it. Wise words indeed from Kilkenny man and noted entrepreneur Bobby Kerr. That brings this look back on 2020 through the eyes of the bottom line to a close. We'll be back next week just after nine with more business stories, interesting guests and business updates. If you'd like to listen back to this programme, check out the KCLR Bottom Line podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to all the guests who appeared again on this week's programme. Special thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produced and edited this week's programme and John Keane for sound engineering and working his magic on it all. Until next week, take Take care of yourself. I look forward to speaking with you again. And from me, John Purcell, goodbye. Have yourself a good week. KCLR's Bottom Line. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie